Hello and welcome to the Chicana Code Switchers podcast. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicana scholar practitioners in higher education. Each episode, we discuss insights, tips, and resources for students and practitioners in higher education with a focus on social justice and platicas. With that being said, let's start this episode. Okay, for this check-in, we're going to do something different where Ariana is going to go in first. So tell us, Ariana. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been a busy uh, couple of weeks uh, for me. I feel like I say that every time we check in because there's just so much to catch up on. But um, I think with the end of the year, a lot of things are moving along. And, and I'm happy to report that I was just offered a new role at UC Davis. So I'm excited about starting that position in the new year. And this is after, what, nine months of applying and uh, to different positions throughout Northern California and even Southern California and not hearing back or positions being canceled, you know, being on that whole uh, job application train where um, with COVID, it, it's become a lot more competitive than it was already. And so, yeah, it was interesting because I submitted this application in November, at the end of November, after Thanksgiving and heard back two weeks ago and this whole past week I was interviewing. So it was just um, really quick how they wanted to move things along. And I guess that's good for me because then I was able to hear back before the, the winter break. And um, yeah, so that's that's what's going on with me, and um, you know, still still maintaining my walking regimen where I walk every day or try to, and you know, complete at least ten thousand steps, and yeah, do a little bit of self care and spend time with family, which is great, and so I think that's. Um, been pretty much what I've what I've been busy with and I also just finished applying for two PhD programs um, at the beginning of December most of the deadlines were December 1st and December 2nd and um, I got a lot of support from friends who have completed their PhD uh, programs and are professors now and that was really nice to receive their support, their guidance, their editing suggestions, and um, being encouraged because I, I feel like they all told me that I was a strong candidate and that they hope that I get in. And so that was very reassuring because this is like the third or fourth time that I've applied to these programs. And I hope, you know, my dream school would be UCLA, but I wouldn't mind going to Stanford or UC Riverside or USC, you know. So I'll mostly stay, I'll basically stay in California for, for grad school. That's what I've realized after this pandemic is that I'd like to stay closer to home where I can take a plane or drive up six hours and um, be replenished, you know, ever so often. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. So let's see what happens. Um, I'm hopeful that this is the, that 2021 will be the year for me to do that and uh, start that journey and, um, and we'll see what happens. But uh, Patricia, please share with us what you've been up to, uh, how the end of the semester has been for you and anything else that you'd like to share with our audience. Yeah, so as I mentioned before, this has been my position um, I've been in it right now eight months, going on to nine now. And it's kind of wild because for the longest time, it didn't really hit me just because everything was virtual. The transition out of grad school was just like uneventful. Like you you didn't really get a sense, um, especially for me, like the closure of like a chapter ending because usually, you know, the celebrations and the commencement is a big, you know, just process in general, even though it's pretty exhausting being in like the whole ceremonies and everything, it still is pretty cool to like celebrate. And I had been looking forward to that moment just because I'm like, I, you know, I hadn't ever dreamed. I knew I was going to finish undergrad. 
I didn't, you know, think that, um, like for the longest time I would have been able to do like grad school right away. And just overall, like, and it took me six months to get my equipment for work to actually like have my whole setup because they had to order like a new desktop. Um, and so that took a long time to just get, uh, but once I did and I went to campus and my boss was there and kind of gave me a tour for the first time, like the actual center in my, like, not necessarily my own office space, but just like the center in general where I work. And it kind of hit me like, dang, like I miss those kind of things. Like, um, although you get like tons of unnecessary meetings, um, you still miss like those like small events or being able to have a workspace, you know, where you get to get excited to go visit campus. Like I miss walking around campus. Um, there are some really cool people in San Jose uh, that are both staff and faculty that I was like really looking forward to connecting in real person um, because you do miss, I miss that networking experience of being able to meet so many different people. What was really cool is like, I miss being able to mentor in like get mentored by people. Like that's something that um, I really miss. And when we did the holiday picture through Zoom, um, it's just like, super like como like nostalgic of like being able to just be a part of the campus and then it just kind of hits you that you're like for the longest time i've been working to this moment to be able to have this title to be working in higher ed and i finally have that and you don't realize how big of an impactor that role could be for a lot of students um and so it just the campus is pretty like small but like the campus the numbers we have like forty thousand students and so you're like, dang, like I could have touched a ton of different lives or impacted them. And being a first gen professional, like, it's just like, whoa, like there's so many things that you have to learn. And I'm like, I got to do it, you know, and I'm, and I'm working on campus and trying to build like a really good uh, experience for students. Um, what I really like about my team is that now we're really evaluating a lot of the um, retention and intervention programs that we have. And it's just so cool to be in a, in a team where we have like similar visions and wanting to, you know, do the best that we can with the system that we have and trying to make a lot of changes, uh, which is like, I still can't imagine like San Jose State is the oldest CSU and they haven't figured out like the most basic things. And Ariana, you and I had spoken before about like how you've interviewed in all these different places and it's just some people just are still so far behind on that you would think that they would have a lot of these things, you know, down, like, how do you communicate with students? How do you do the follow-up? How do you, you know, just get them through just to do, just for them to get information, like the most basic things. Like um, I've had to answer and, and try to correct a lot of these things just because of the information that they've gotten, where students feel pressured to take 15 units because they think that that's like required. And it's like, no, it's not, you know, like you're, you're having to make those corrections later on just because you've seen that a lot of students have been very ambitious and trying to get 15, 16 or like really full time um, enrollment and they're failing one or two classes. So um, like just having realistic conversations with students and trying to um, make a huge emphasis on mental health and try to help more people just like get more, I think that's where the conversations I've had a lot with my appointments is just prioritizing mental health and make sure making sure that students like we normalize the conversation that anxiety and depression is not something we should have to have or you know tolerate or carry with us um, something that we should address and you know breaking those cycles and especially when students want to I think those are been really nice to let them know that they don't have to go to the on-campus caps or you know psychological services and like oftentimes and unfortunately you have to pay more of your pocket or at least if you have insurance use it to do an out of um, network um, referral or something so that's just what i've been seeing and it's just a lot of like for me transitioning into from being a student and being so used to you know you know handling so many things to now now is like as a, as a staff i still have procrastination so i think that's the thing that i'm playing like having to like 
put as a medium, like a balance of like not overworking myself, but also like not doing anything at all, trying to have a happy meeting. And that's kind of difficult when um, appointment times throughout the semester fluctuate all the time. Like we have a lot of students coming into the center and trying to get academic advising during registration times and peaks there at the beginning of the semester. But then during the summer and towards the end of the winter session, there's less appointments. And so I'm like, what's the motivation of like having one or two appointments a day and like everything else? Like what else do you, what, what else can you do? Right. So I'm still dealing with the years and years of accumulated procrastination throughout time and having a sense of like not having to overwork myself either. Like it's so hard to like rest when you kind of feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to get in trouble or I haven't done anything. Like I have to like always produce, uh, which is unfortunate because this is the kind of like capitalist system that we live. In. And then we get graded on it, you know, in our reviews. So it's very, very hard to actually, you know, take on my boss is like, oh, yeah, you can take a day off kind of thing. And, and I'm like, oh, that's just so weird, you know, <laughs> like, because we're not used to having a supervisor just like, yeah, take your time off or allowing a, a space to to rest without having to feel like you need to justify it. And we're really excited to have a great friend, colleague and amazing luchadora as part of this episode. Her name is Isabel Lopez. She is the founder and executive director of Raices Collective, a nonprofit in Sonoma County, serving its bilingual and bicultural communities. The Raices Collective was established in June 2015 to empower and mobilize community through the arts, culture, and environmental education, receiving a City of um, uh, Santa Rosa Merit Award in 2017 for strengthening our neighborhoods. Lopez immigrated from Mexico at the age of seven with her family and was the first of her eight siblings to graduate from college, holding a BS in business administration from the College of Business at Sacramento State. For the past four years, Raices Collective has served as a multicultural hub for Sonoma County and beyond, working to support and cultivate underrepresented artists and the next generation of scholars, of leaders. So welcome, Isa. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited um, to be interviewed by you both. I'm a huge fan. I follow you on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> um, no, and I just really enjoy um, the platform that you all that you guys provide that you ladies provide to the mujeres um, that don't normally also get those spaces to talk about their work. So I'm just excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for you for joining us. I think it's been quite a long journey. We've known each other for, for quite some time and it's been interesting. I, I don't even remember how we initially all met, like what was the situation or what was happening, but we met through a bunch of different events happening in Sonoma County uh, when both Ariana and I were at uh, Sonoma State. Um, and I've known you like when I was a student there and it was pretty exciting to see other like mujeres um, and especially women of color taking up spaces and organizing. And I think that was really exciting to see another fellow business major also doing really great things and, and also changing up the uh, like what we did career wise, like not being trapped mm -hmm. into one place. And so um, could you tell us a bit about like what it like, what was your, you know, trajectory in terms of mm -hmm. so, like what brought you into the work? Because you've you worked in both like um, in business and, and, and things like that. And also within uh, creating this nonprofit that mm -hmm. came out of your experience and your involvement in the politics and uh, civic engagement in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um... You're right. I, I come from like the corporate world. Uh, I believe that and what brought to me to the corporate world was really um, in 2007, 2008, when um, there was a recession in our um, economy. Right. And so that was at around the time that I was looking. I had just had my daughter. Um, I was looking for work. Um, and specifically a career in, in business that 
that could provide for my daughter and I at the time. Um, I had moved back with my family um, just because things were getting expensive just now that I had a daughter, right? And so I came back to Sonoma County with the support with my six sisters and my brother um, who all resided reside in Sonoma County, San Rosa specifically. Um, and so at that time, the only sort of like stable job that I could find was in um, insurance at State Farm. So I started um, doing um, underwriting assistance um, and moved up all the way to being an analyst. So I was there for 11 years. Um, but bef like five years before my sort of end, like uh, retirement from that career, um, the company had like announced, made an announcement that they were going to be closing in five years. So we basically could prepare to move with the company um, and they were moving to states. They were consolidating the, the um, operations offices into uh, like Texas and Arizona and Washington. And I really didn't want to uproot my daughter and I. Um, and I just saw, I just became really aware of how the corporate environment just was really draining, draining me. And um, I was just getting tired of commuting. Um, they were giving us like mandatory um, overtime, which I, I was like, why, why mandatory, right? Um, anyway, it was just, an, it just wasn't conducive to like my own mental health. And so that's when I decided, okay, well, if I'm gonna find another career, I might as well find something that like I have a passion for and that it's not gonna feel like work, right? And so I started volunteering for many organizations in Sonoma County. Um, and a lot of the work that I really liked was in like the social justice sector, like nonprofits working towards um, like giving people power, right? And so um, I just, it took me back to college when I was doing organizing for Mecha and we were, um, a lot was for retention, right? Like because we ourselves didn't see in a lot of the um, dominant culture on campus. So we were, um, organizing like cultural nights and um, noches de cultura and we would do poetry and display art and we would um, be protesting like EOP budget cuts and just um, trying to organize around any I think at the time we started collecting signs with Senator Cedillo for SB 65 to get undocumented people um, uh, licenses um, so that I remember that movimiento starting back in the day when I was in um, a student at Sac State and so anyway it just brought me back to that time that I really loved um, and also like seeing it not seeing it in my own community um, I decided that I wanted to start something focusing on art and culture because that was one of the things that retained me and like exposed me to a lot of the social um, social justice issues occurring in our communities and so I was like, well, I think I could um, start a nonprofit focusing on art and cultura and empowering people. And um, I started looking into what that, like interviewing other folks that had started nonprofits and um, and then start talking to friends of mine here in the community, one of them being Mariana Martin, uh, Martinez, right, who um, is maybe one of your friends and mentors, um, but um, just, in talking with them and all of us realizing, yeah, there is a community center here, there isn't a cultural center here, there aren't hardly any platforms for artists of color. So we all sort of chipped in to um, apply to get uh, nonprofit status for this collective I, um, idea that we had. And um, I thought it was gonna take just two years to get our 501c3 status, but it ended up taking like four months. Um, and at that time, we didn't have any kind of like written business plan or written strategy of any kind of how it was going to work. Um, and in a sense, we're still sort of working on it. But that's the beauty of beginning something new is you're able to, you know, change as our um, communities change. Because um, a lot of, I think a lot of organizations become like stagnant 
in their mission and they don't move past a certain thing. So for me, it was really important to have an orientation that could change with community changes. Um, and as, if people wanted to come in to wanting to see, to see new programming, they would have the ability or the platform or the agency to create their own programs. Um, and so here we are, like the, my job ended with State Farm at the end of 2018. Um, and I transitioned to full-time executive director at um, Raices Collective um, in June of 2019. So um, I'm the first paid staff of the nonprofit, but obviously my dream is to have a permanent space to continue making platforms for unrepresented artists and teachers of color to create um, programming that they want to see in their communities using art and culture um, as the foundation. Like when I first got introduced to Raices Collective, I think that was something really cool because again, we're, we're working in, um, in different higher ed spaces and, and to also see that there, there was like the lack of programming and around that that we didn't grow up with. Um, and so I think it was really cool to see um, some of the programming that you did was around really creating a platform or allowing a lot of uh, artists of color and art in a, in a very like broad sense um, to give them space to also show and showcase like this connection. And you really connected a lot with a lot of different college students bringing them in into the work that you did with Raices Collective. So tell us about like, what was the inspiration behind it? And tell us about like how you grew up in Sonoma County that had brought in this vision of you creating this profit in this way, um, as I've never seen other um, nonprofits include so many different missions. Because you also, uh, part of your core was doing a lot about sustainability work and environmental like uh, justice. Yeah, um, I think the reason why I was able to engage, and I'm engaging a lot of mujeres, right, is because I myself like the leader, right? I am a woman of color, right? And so I come from that community that's been um, historically disenfranchised, right? And so me being in that position, like just automatically brings in people or like that audience that looks, that looks like me, right? And so um, I, for me, that was also one of the things why I started this nonprofit is because I didn't see too many women of color in those positions. So I wanted to create those and, and sort of create a pathway of what that could look like, right? Not necessarily like the path, but it's a path. Um, and you don't, and I only have a bachelor's, right? So there's, I also come from sort of this mentality that a lot of learnings don't necessarily come from institutions, right? Because sometimes institutions can be so, um, can try to push us out as well and cause damage to women of color in terms of like empowering us. They don't really empower us sometimes, they disempower us sometimes. And so for me, I wanted to make the safe space for women to organize and be empathetic and be compassionate and just like show what um, a different kind of leadership. Like I don't always have to be at the full, at like, um, leading or facilitating a workshop, right? I actually would rather be in the background, like marketing or um, creating those networks rather than me being on that platform, right? So for me, like for women like Jessica, when um, she first, she was our first um, yoga, Raices Yoga facilitator. And so she, um, she, I really made the, she came into our space wanting to provide a service to our community that hadn't been provided before. Um, and without necessarily um, the training, right? She learned as she went along. That was her very first time facilitating anything. Um, and she became really comfortable. And I saw like how like she was creating her own little flyers and um, she started really coming into her own right and that's the beautiful part about being in that is that I get to see people growing in a way where all of a sudden they don't need the organization and that's really the goal is like that you don't need me to be marketing for you now you're doing it on yourself and you're sort of like 
given the wings to fly and like work for other organizations that maybe will have more funds to compensate you for your time. Right. Cause that was one. And that still is one of um, the challenges for me is like, where's this funding going to come from? And I'm also still continually learning about grant writing and building relationships and um, like code switching, right? You guys are called, Co- you ladies are called code switchers for a reason. It, it takes so much energy to be able to explain the work to a, like the um, sort of the, pri- the white privileged male run organizations, white male run organizations, right? That sometimes don't understand the work that we're doing. And so to be able to translate that to funders who really are trying to understand what it is that they're funding. And for me to um, sort of, art is so abstract and hard to quantify like what you're getting out of it, like the benefits that you get out of it. Um, I mean, we see it in society, but it's hard for people to really quantify what that looks like. Um, And so that's been a challenge for me, but but yeah, again, I'm making my own path. I'm learning as I go along, like, I'm example that you don't have to have all the answers in order to start something. Like if you follow your purpose and your passion, um, that, you know, it's going to happen for you. So I don't know what the question was, but that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Um, So you have um, maneuvered various social movements, politics, all while confronting sexism that comes with entering these spaces. What are some of the takeaways or advice you could give other uh, women of color in leadership positions about trying to do, trying to overcome those challenges that they might face um, in creating Mm -hmm. such spaces? And this comes from the question, like when we were both organizing or even wanting to, you know, speak our, you know, some of the things that we wanted to change in the county, Um, the Mm -hmm. things that the way that we wanted to do movements was not deemed as the the legit way of doing social justice work. And the fact that your organization was completely different in the structure, because yours wasn't hierarchical, it wasn't trying to create this other like, patriarchy way of like, doing social justice it was a lot more community care and I think that's from my perspective it was like interesting that that wasn't seen as a really legit way of you know creating a nonprofit, running it or even doing politics or organizing or campaigning for certain things right so tell us about like what is it you know like how how have you tried to engage with, especially in a predominantly political, like male dominated space? Yeah, um, I think that I'm still trying to figure that out day by day. But I think initially, I know that I said to myself, like, I'm still gonna lead out of love, like, I'm not gonna get angry at all of those men that have undermined me and my ideas in those spaces, I think that that brought me to a point where I said, well, I'll just go ahead and do it on my own, or I'll just start my own organization, right? Like, I knew that that was, that's an energy that I didn't have to go into the spaces and try to change things. I started my own thing, whatever that thing is now, right? Yes, it's a nonprofit, but for me, it's more than a nonprofit. It's my way of creating community. Um, And through art, what better way to do it than through art and cultura? Um, And not necessarily being that traditional nonprofit that sends you emails all the time. It's like, no, when you come to our events, I'm communicating with you. I'm catching up with you. Like, It's not like I'm the executive director and I'm at the front. Like I actually always participate in any work. I try to participate in in like the events that I organize or that I, I, there's other people organizing, organize under me. Like I'm, I'm not the one sitting in the office. Like I'm everywhere. Um, I'm kind of like doing it all. And so, or not doing it all. I apologize. Like, but sort of, making sure it comes together in a way without necessarily like 
um, leading it, right? I'm, I'm making it super safe for other folks to, to lead it. But um, I think that's been the most important thing for me to keep in mind is like to not put so much energy in, um, oh, no one pays attention to me or like no one's taking into account my ideas, but rather that like, how can I make a safe space for me to, to organize and, and in turn also making it really safe space for other mujeres to come in and organize and reach out. Um, so that's been really instrumental for me to, to carry is to lead with love and not with like resentment or um, dudas or hate or like, I just got to keep moving forward, you know, to, because I, I also have a large family with a lot of nieces and a lot of nephews. So for me, it's really real. It's not like seven generations. It's like I have a ton of family and uh, we're like a little village in ourselves. So as long as I'm making and I see the impact that I'm making in my family, which is like really the foundation, like if you have a really strong family foundation and then like nothing can stop you, nothing can break you down, you know? Um, and in extension, my friends, right, these really close, deep relationships that I have now become like an extension of my family. My village becomes a little bit bigger, right? Um, like you and, and Ariana through our relationship with um, Mariana and like Sonoma State and the issues um, that brought us together, um, the struggles that we've like face together right even though I didn't necessarily go to that college like I felt you right and and so our sort of our network became larger and I think um, we empower each other right we we are reflections of each other and so if if I'm stronger you all are going to be stronger and vice versa I'm learning so much from all the young people that are like creating their own podcasts. And um, I remember when I, when I first started, there was hardly anything happening in the community in terms of like art and culture that reflected our communities. And so now it's, you, a lot of organizations are slowly like bringing arte and cultura in their programs. Why? Because they see that it's, it's creating community. And so, it, I'm okay with people not um, sort of not acknowledging the work that I've been doing because I'm a woman of color and like I'm not like funded like other organizations are and I'm not hiring like crazy but I know that we've been making an impact by seeing all of the different programs that are popping up in the community that are art and culture um, focused. So I know, like, I don't need that, like, thank you. And, you know, oh, and, and there are, there are like mujeres like you guys and like other folks out there too, that are saying like, can I, can I share your story? And that's really, I'm okay with sharing my story to a few people. <laughs> With that, I, Isa, um, I'm assuming that you also would not want to be a part of, be funded by these bigger organizations or because then, you know, they have their own conditions that they would want you to follow as an organization. Yeah, that's exactly true. Um, there is a reason why um, I don't want to grow in that way. Like I want to grow in the way that reflects my values, right? And so if I want to reflect values of integrity and of honesty that I want to be honest about where I get my funding from. And I wouldn't want people, um, and sometimes like we live in this gray, like this world that isn't black and white too. So it's hard to always like um, figure out where you're getting that money, even though you think a certain foundation is like great or whatever you, I don't, I hope that they, you know, are also um, reflecting those values. But um, but I try for sure to be careful of where I get my funds from. So most of the funds that um, we have been um, receiving is from like county, um, California Arts Council, um, 
and individual folks, right? Like that have been donating, people, artists that um, contribute a percentage of their art that's been sold. So it's really a lot of it's been um, community and like community supported. It's been really um, exciting because I think that the coolest thing when we started meeting was how you would always involve your daughter into a lot of these different events and she's grown up with you going on to these meetings and you balancing you know your your work your passion and things like that and making sure that your your daughter was in those organizing spaces i mentioned to you this other book exclusionary some of these movements can be for parents um, and mothers of color who do have children of color in mm -hmm. uh, these spaces and and so tell us about like what your relationship has been built within your 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 child and the ways that you see your child growing up such in a different environment than you did yeah no yeah that's also a huge part of of this collective um theory right is that or model um is that in all the programs that we hold entire families can come and partake um in the art making or the community building. And that's important because like young kids have so, a wealth of information too, right? Um, they haven't yet conformed to all of these um, social constructs yet. And so they're so creative and so fearless. So I love hanging out with the little ones because they're so fearless and I hope that rubs off on me. <laughs> um, but it's helped my daughter and I also have spaces where we can share in these activities and build with other families in these spaces. Um, I've come to know like families of Sonoma State students and um, through my friends, like created spaces where they're, once they build their families, their kids can come and partake in this, um, in, in these programs um, and I see it in her way of thinking too just like from her coming to all of these meetings since she was like four or five um, now she's coming into her own like critical thinking skills and um, she amazes me with some of the thoughts that she has on like politics and um, we were able to talk about um, candidates, right? We were just talking about presidential candidates the other day. And she's like, well, I heard Joe Biden is kind of racist too. Why are people saying he's so like explaining to her like, well, yeah, you're right. Um, he like just different conversations. And I'm so proud that I'm able to have these conversations with a 13 year old. Right. Um, Cause sometimes that doesn't happen. They become at 13. It's, you know, you have all of these hormones raging. Um, but uh, I'm just thankful that she's able to voice what she wants to do. For example, like um, from all we've, like in community events where we have like Danza Azteca opening and she first heard the Wewel and she's like, she's been attracted to it. And it wasn't until she was like 10 maybe that she said, I want to learn how to play right? The Wewel, which is like the Aztec dance drum. Um, the, and so I was like, yeah, I can, we could, they practice, I could take you to danza and um, you can learn. She's like, well, I'll, I'll do it if you do it. And um, just so we would do have something together to, to do to bond over. I was like, yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in learning. I love to learn like things, right? Um, and so we come into the space together and it's like, oh my God, I didn't realize how much I needed that, right? And she was the one that sort of brought us into that space. And she picked up the beat so fast. Like she's an amazing drummer, that girl. Um, and she, um, she's learning about her, cause she's black and Mexicana, right? So she's learning about her roots in, from Mexico and um, that part of of her history and so and me too i'm like at the end when we're in circulo like we have to share palabra and i've never been one to step out of my comfort zone to share like 
feelings. <laughs> That's I'm still working on it. Um, and it's been a space where I've been able to to do some of that healing and really try to figure out and feel my feelings so I'm able to put it into words. Um, and so that's been really helpful for me to, to be a part of with her, right, in, in, in circle with her. And it's, and it's, again, another circulo, right, where there is no hierarchy. Um, and so she's the one that's brought me into that, that space. So I'm really thankful um, to have an organization like that where not just I'm able to bring my child, but anyone can bring their child or, their, or the children can bring their parents or their cousins or their tias or whatever it is. Um, so I'm always really shocked sometimes when I see families and then I see we're doing work in schools and then I see the kids there or vice versa. Like I love that feeling of connecting it's like connecting the dots, like, oh, that's the cousin and the, you know? So I love, I love that work. And the, the connections that you make with both of your own family and understanding that, like, they're, how you're mentioning, they're an extension of who you are, as opposed to, like, seeing that, oh, there's separate families and we, we don't take care of each other. Um, because a lot of the times we don't see the the similarities and the, the issues that we've also um, had to, uh, the generational things that we've been through and how you're also doing this for a circle of if we grew up in lots of, you know, silencios and silences and, and isolation of you experiencing all these things on your own, knowing that your daughter is now kind of pushing you. And that's amazing. I, I always saw your daughter as like this really nice, fierce, like, person get the así como the fire already inside of her mm-hmm. and has this courage to say the things that other people may not want to to point out especially at such a young age and the way that our children um, in our generation like the future generations get racialized in a whole different environment than we didn't and I think the connection that you had with your daughter reminded me of that book and I, and I was able to pull it up and it's called Revolutionary Mothering, Love on the Front Lines. And it's um, by Alexis Pauling Gubbs, uh, one of the editors, and then China Martins um, mm-hmm. and Maya Williams and Loretta uh, Ross uh, wrote the preface. And it's such a wonderful book when it, it kind of reminded me of all the work that you've done with with your family, with the, you know, like everything kind of related together to show like, what does restorative justice with just re- what does healing look like in a much more interpersonal level? And especially bringing that healing outwards to everyone around you that you end up interacting with. And the fact that you have involved your daughter in so many different things and allowing her to speak her voice and share her opinion and involve her in some of the decision-making has been really exciting to see because I hadn't seen it within my family in that way before. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to check out that book. And I think you had sent me the information on it. I just need to get on top of that. (laughs) Um, No, but, and it, and I feel like, again, right. Going back to spaces like Sonoma County doesn't have an actual space like a, a community center or a cultural center where we could come in and like um you know celebrate our Dia de los Muertos or like we're always I'm always at least having to figure out like where I'm gonna have these programs or like like what does the funding look like to be able to have an event there um so it's it's been a, even for danza right like you we need insurance to practice or then sad in like the gymnasiums of schools. Like really like the, you need insurance for everything really, but, (laughs) but it's just crazy how like just a, a healing spiritual thing like that we have to pay or like get insurance to be able to, to do that. Right. And, on indigenous land, but you know, <laughs> um, yeah, that's another, another discussion. Um, but it's just, it's crazy to me. Some of these things that I'm learning as a consequence of, of starting this nonprofit organizations, um, all, all of as much as like, I have some agency, but there are also 
sometimes restrictions that come along with um, certain grants and things like that. And um, political too, like I'm like, what? Um, yeah, but I mean, that's the system, right? Like we, and, and hopefully by me creating something makes other mujeres want to create outside, you know, of, of the boxes and break, continue breaking barriers and, um, yeah, and organizing. And with that, uh, Isa, I was reminded and also wondering, what has it been like to raise a biracial daughter in Sonoma County or just in general? Yeah, um, it's been eye-opening, right? Because, I, I mean, I've experienced some things growing up locally, right, like racism and things, but now that my daughter's 13 and we're going to places together, um, I, I think I told you a story about, um, I think it was in June or July that we were at the grocery outlet in Santa Rosa and my daughter was with me and I was buying liquor because it was a birthday party that I, that was like what I was going to bring. Um, and they carted her over me um and granted we had mass it's covid time but she's a little bit taller now and again she's like black and mexicana so she's darker than me and so they carded her and i was like here's my id and it was a young white kid here's my id and i'm her mom's and she's 13 so she doesn't have an id but i this is all mine right so he looks at my ID and then looks at me and then leaves. Gives me my ID back and leaves. And then comes another older white, I think she's the supervisor or manager. And she asks Isa for the ID again. And I'm like, and then at this point, I, I'm starting to get a little upset, right? Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm the mom and... I, like I just told your other employee, that she, I'm mom and she's my daughter. She's 13, so she doesn't have an ID, but this is my ID. And she looks at it and then looks at me and then looks at her. And then, um, and finally we're checking out, but it's just, that's the things that our, our mujeres, our little girls of color, right, are particularly black young women that have that people think that they're older than they are. And so they get that energy, right? Of like, let me see your ID. And it's like, whoa, they're children, right? They're kids. So I'm learning a lot right now that she's, um, and st there are statistics that, that show that like black young girls get that stigma for um, just because they're of their skin color. Um, and so it's really racist what these things that are happening to our kids. Um, and especially in sports, like not getting chosen in sports, like you have to try out and she, she, um, she's really athletic, but she's didn't get into volleyball. She didn't get into basketball at middle school. And I seen her like attitude and she was just really down on herself because she didn't make it. So I feel like some of these things are done to kill their spirit sometimes, you know, and it's, um, it's really unfortunate how there's still a lot of, um, a lot of like racism happening in our, in our communities and in schools. And, but, um, but yeah, for me, it's just gives me more of the drive to continue making these spaces for our young people of color. And I think it's it's unfortunate that, you know, especially every phase of, you know, your daughter's path is going to come with a whole new set of, of challenges and mm -hmm. for the need of like you to come in and advocate and or intervene right. or sometimes know that you, you may not be there uh, for those situations. And I think it's, you know, so white supremacy just loves to say no to us uh, for no reason. And and the fact that when you're creating spaces like this, I think that's where you understand how deep some of those things are just because you have to, you know, create paperwork, pay for things, um, more paperwork and, 
you know, the, the whole need to just try to get the people to understand like what you're trying to create and what you're trying to do, even as simple as going to the grocery store and pay, like you have to just like, people just don't believe you yet. They believe all the lies that all these other, you know, politicians are doing or businesses and like the need for us to just like have to explain so much uh, for our existence and now feel that they want to, you know, have these experiences as a rite of passage um, for these white people to like experience a little bit of like, you know, kind of like how study abroad happens or some of these ethnic studies courses where they just like, oh, I just want to learn. But the learning ends once that book is closed and we still have to continue picking up the work and, and we can't separate them because that's how we get racialized and treated. So um, we've, we've, you're learning more about like other different experiences, you know, with your, with your daughter. Any recommendations or things like that for people to become more involved in the communities and healing circles within not just this one county, but, you know, how do you replicate this um, in other places? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say to, and this sounds really corny, but it's, I mean, it's going to sound really corny, but really like look within and like see what you are needing from, right? What, like what, what heals you? And like, if you don't see it out there, um, like you can create it, right? Like if it doesn't exist, then it's made so that it's for you to create it. Um, and so I would say, um, yeah, by, by finding what heals you, like in, in turn, your community's healing or your family's healing. And so it do, I think it does start within your family unit, right? And like, um, if we're really saying like, oh yeah, restorative justice or art and programs really work, then I always try to engage like my family in the programs, right? Um, one of my nieces is, sits on the school board. Another one of my nieces just got her master's in Mexico. Um, and her research was exactly on like non-governmental organizations that provide these resources to community that government can't provide, right? Um, and so for me, it's just like, once you learn what you need, then you could go out there and look for it or create it, um, heal for it, because in turn, then your community is going to heal. And especially seeing how all of us have such different family units, all of us get um, the inheritance of different kinds of traumas and different kinds mm -hmm. of styles of communication. I think it's really important, especially with these institutions and the way that they interact with their own families. It's not the same as we experience with our own families. And I think it's important to really start that reflection within ourselves. Cause I think it's e so easy. And this is where we get to the savior complex, right? The white savior complex. Mm -hmm. Instead of really addressing your own issues, then you start trying to save other people. And I think that's the, that's where the wrong, uh, you know, to address that, like you have to be, and when Nariana and I talk about some of these issues that we're, we're having with our families or when we're discussing in our podcast, some things that came up or current events that, or things that we're working on with our families. I think it's so interesting that Ariana and I have similar things, but then even in general, like our own family dynamics are very different. So some things that work really well with my family, it can't be replicated with Ariana. And to understand that anytime I have this student's advice on like, how should I address certain things with their families? How do you create boundaries? I'm like, there is no one way just because my parents deal with so many different things than your parents do. My parents are open to some things, other things they're definitely closed off of. But that kind of experience of having to navigate and trying to open them to that conversation has been a year since I was born, right? Like that work has been continuous over and over and over again. And the more access to information that we have, the more important it is for us to engage our families within that. So it's not just doesn't stay in these circles of all of us, you know, because all of us are connected and tapped into all these people that think like us. 
But then when we get frustrated as to why certain policies got accepted, why certain candidates are moving forward, and then you end up finding out that your family thinks in a certain way, you're like, we could have addressed that. We could have had a conversation about this. We could think about how even within your own daughter and your own cousins, your own, like they all have a different perspective that if you all kind of came together, then you would understand how to address some of these things. And sometimes it's, you know, crowdsourcing pulling together with a, follow, a, a couple of things because you don't have to have the answer together, but you can, you know, start sharing, well, this helped, you know, with me to address this with my aunt, you know, and okay, maybe we can do the same thing with this one because it's within the family unit and um, tag teaming. Uh, uh, now that I have uh, right now, like I'm currently having my mom over and my sister and we had to address my mom in this conversation about what she thinks is dark because with light-skinned Mexicans and white Mexicans, what dark is considered is very, like, in terms of whiteness, right? We, we think that a certain person is dark when they really is just, they have black hair and are a little bit not as pale as the other person and to address, like, the anti-blackness within our family and, and to think, like, who is really, like, the terms pireta are derogatory terms. And, and we had a, this whole discussion with both my partner and my mom and my sister and to engage my mom into thinking like, oh, that's not really like, let's fact check. Let's talk about why those, why do we think that way? Um, and that work doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's one of the beauty and the ways that you replicate it in within your own family, Isabel. It's, it's really beautiful. And I think it, you're, you're right where we really have to start within our own family, within our own family dynamics or the people near us that we come into contact us frequently because we get to this term that policies and all these things happen just in our own circles and then we get surprised as to you know why we have families that are conservative or voting in different ways or not engaging them because it's difficult I'm like you don't have to do it by yourself I think the important part is you have to tag team and branch out little by little yeah and I think it's um we have to do it like really compassionately too, because I think that now that, you know, at least for my generation, we're like now coming like back to our communities to figure out how we can help like in a professional role. And we come with all of these now learnings from the institution. Um, and sometimes we play into that, like this deficit way of thinking and expressing and describing our communities. But we really also have to start thinking like, no, we're, res we're not like, po not pobrecitos, but like, oh my God, look how resilient we are, right? Like we have crossed borders. We have been, we've been got caught by La Migra, but look, we're still here. Our families are thriving, like our, my nieces is, are running for like positions of power. Um, and so for, for me, I think it's a, also reminds me to start thinking, shifting the narrative to um, asset way of thinking and expressing like the wins in our community. Right, um, that I think that's really important too, is to, to start um, doing that and um, yeah. <laughs> but thank you both. I'm excited that you guys are, or you ladies are doing all of this and um, thank you for your work and, make, and I'm always reading the things that you're posting and I'm learning so much. I'm like, wow, that was a whole TED talk in like one meme. <laughs> So Isa, um, where can people donate to your organization or learn more about it? Do you have a website? Do you have um, ways that people can get involved? Yeah, go to um, raicescollective.org. Um, Raices there you can, there's a donation tab um, that you can donate on, on the web, on the, on the website. Also, if you go onto Instagram or um, Facebook, you'll find um, programs because of COVID and now the recent fires. It, it's hard to organize anything when we're so focused on community building. It's hard to build community through Zoom. Um, but we're still trying to figure out ways to, to um, you know, do virtual programs. 
But if anyone wants to, again, like provide any learnings to our community virtually or, um, you know, teach us how to make whatever it is, whatever art it is that, that speaks to you, um, or if anyone wants to give a presentation, especially, um, you know, the, the young women like getting, doing their thesis or wanting to practice presentations for school, like this is, this could be your sort of your, um, your learning environment, right? Um, by doing is how we learn. So if you, if you want to give any workshops or presentations on arte, cultura, environment, anything, we're all artists, right? And so go ahead and reach out to me again. Um, the best way to reach out is through Facebook or Instagram through social media. Yeah. And if anything, this really provides an opportunity to do cross national work where, you know, it doesn't have to all happen in Sonoma County, but you, uh, different counties can come together um, or different places from different places in the world where virtually now you can make it happen. So I think it's yeah. it would be really good to, you know, if anybody wants to get in contact or learn more about your organization, I think that would be, really um an awesome way to collaborate yeah i think the one time we did um when covid first hit and we were like doing a lot of online or virtual events um there was a poetry reading where there was folks from mexico that um read and shared their poetry and their song and they were in like michoacan or somewhere um but that was super fun because it was folks from new york um folks from all over the nation um, that zoomed in and it was really powerful because you're right it sort of like transcended these like physical borders and um, so that was that's right like we can definitely this is a good time to think about organizing transnationally but any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience um I think just right now like this is a good time to learn about what makes us whole and what brings us peace um, and to take it one day at a time. Sometimes we're like, because of the capitalistic systems that we are, we were in before this, this it's like stopped. And so we're, I think, at least for me, I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'm being so unproductive. I'm, I'm not doing enough. And so we we're. I'm really hard on myself and I'm learning how to slow down and take it day by day and make sure like the people like my family are, are okay. And I'm, I'm also healthy for them and for my daughter um, to hold some space for them and be in community with them because they've become my little pod. Right. Um, so yeah, I just learn to, to slow down, take it one day at a time and, um, really focus on making yourself as healthy as you can be so we can really get out there and continue um, doing the work. Um, right. Especially as so many different natural disasters that are really not natural um, mm -hmm. that, are, that, are right. create, that, that have been manufactured by the way that we've been living our lives is mm -hmm. the need to just rest, take space and just, you know, address certain things that need to be addressed now within the family um, and also just, and it's like the, the need to just make sure that, you know, all of us are, are fine and that if we haven't convivir, it's, I think it's a really great opportunity to know that it's good that we are near each other. Or if we need to, you know, be more in community, um, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, ahorita creo que estamos, you know, reflexionando, like what really is important. Um, and if we were to strip it down to the basics, like what is it really that makes us happy ways that we can just help each other? Cause I think right now it's just, we're dealing with so many different issues. Um, I think every day is just a very unrealistic, you know, consumption of so many different news and, and, and things like that. And I think it's really good to just start, you know, that healing work continuously. And I think now it's deeper mm -hmm. uh, within ourselves and, and the people around us. Thank you both. Thank you, Isa, for all of your insight and contributions and share of wealth of knowledge that you've provided us. And I, we wish you the best of luck with your nonprofit. Continue doing the great work that you're doing. And I hope that people can get involved in supporting your efforts. 
Thank you, ladies. I also hope um, you guys have a bright future ahead of you. So I'm excited to, to be in community with you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Nos vemos. Nos vemos. Gracias. Take care. And now transitioning into our next segment, we are going to actually mesh our announcements and our um, BIPOC business shout out uh, together. As I posted it last month, um, I did a whole guide. So I spent like a whole day putting together the graphics of making sure that the guide is um, put together, that it was reflective of like companies and, and small businesses that I um, that I would actually use, um, that I have used in the past, uh, been wanting to buy from. Um, and so we put together, um, a couple of businesses that have, it's, it's been like a whole year trying to find them as well, just cause, um, you stumble upon them in like other guides, but I just feel like there's some guides that I'm like, oh, I wouldn't use those things or, um, they're not really reflective of like, um, my taste or my style. So I wanted it to be, you know, really authentically something that we would promote. Um, so please check out the, our Instagram post. We also created a, um, an actual Instagram guide that you have that Instagram's new feature. Um, so you can check it out. I'm also going to download it and put it into a PDF so we can check it out on our Patreon, um, with the links embedded in there. So you can actually visit their websites. Um, but I also wanted to shout out one of the businesses that we had in there. Um, and the business is Adelita's Apparel. Um, Adelita, Adelita's Apparel is a small tiendita owned by two immigrant sisters, Yahaira and Atsiri uh, Peña. And if I, I think I pronounced it right, but if I didn't, I tried to look for the pronunciation. So apologies in advance. Uh, we want to create a community that can support one another to live unapologetically uh, themselves. The goal is to uplift one another through learning and uh, unlearning. And they have such a cute list of stickers. They also have shirts. Um, and then they also have um, support and documented artisan face masks, dresses, accessories, jackets and sweaters, bags and plushies. They have a ton of things um, as well as a... A DACA fund. So they, if you don't want, want to buy anything specifically, but would like to support funding um, immigrants who need to renew their DACA, you can also support them through their link there um, and their website. All of their info will be tagged in the um, show notes below and support them. For all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business conference and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at chicanacodeswitchers and on Twitter at xcodeswitchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or cash app us at Chicana Code Switchers and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you. And don't forget, switch the code. Don't let the code switch you.